Stephanie Schaefer, and you're listening to the North Star Narrative, a podcast from North Star Academy. I want to thank you for joining us. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and motivated by what you learned today. Enjoy the story. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me today. We have a topic that we have never had on the podcast before in all the three years we've been recording. So I am super, super excited. Um, And she is local. She works at our Memphis Zoo in Memphis, Tennessee, Courtney Janney. And um, she is actually a zoologist and she loves animals and um, has some really cool um, things that she's already told me. And I know she's going to have so many stories um, for us about all the different animals that are at the zoo and how she has traveled um, all over the world, flown with these some of these animals um, to help them get to their next spot. But um, she thought about being a veterinarian at one point, so I'm sure she'll be able to talk a little bit about that, but um, is now a zoologist working at the Memphis Zoo. Like I said, she has um, a four-year degree, um, and then she had an internship in Texas at the Texas Zoo um, called Fossil Rim. Um, she also worked at Walt Disney World and um, Smithsonian's National Zoo for the next 10 years. So I know she's got so many stories from being all around the country with many different types of animals. So thank you so much for taking a few moments to join us here. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. I love talking about animals and talking about what I do. So this seemed perfect. Yeah. Um, I asked my seven-year-old last night because we come to the Memphis Zoo quite a bit year-round. And um, I said, what would you ask her? Um, we have a zoologist that works at the zoo, and he was coming up with all kinds of questions. But um, one of his questions was, do the animals come out of their cages? So um, some of them do. But, uh, you know, we we hundreds of years ago, we talked about animals being in cages. Now we talk about animals having exhibits. And so um, just about every animal that is uh, at the Memphis Zoo, we are committed to taking care of for their entire life here in captivity. These animals are not necessarily candidates for release. So these animals will be cared for by humans. And so um, we have some animals that leave their exhibits as far as ambassador animals and animals that um, will come out and meet people like our sloth. Um, some of our penguins will come off exhibit occasionally. But for the most part, where they spend their lives is on exhibit. And then almost every single one of our exhibits has a, be- a behind the scenes holding area. As you can imagine here in Memphis, temperature control is key. And so a lot of our animals, like the polar bears, for example, well, their favorite place to hang out in July is in their building because we've got air conditioning in there. Um, but, uh, you know, we, like I said, most of our animals, uh, knock on wood, stay where they're supposed to, <laughs> but we do have a, a select few that are allowed to leave. <laughs> yeah. Um, so fun. And the Memphis Zoo is beautiful and incredible. One thing I appreciate is there's always changes, always something new, new exhibits, whether they just come temporary or you are, you know, investing in new areas. And so the, uh, kangaroos. Love mm-hmm. that because they weren't in cages, right? The younger Correct. ones. And well, so they're in an enclosure, but you're allowed to go in their enclosure with them. And so um, the kangaroos are a great example of a seasonal exhibit that we have here at the Memphis Zoo. So when it warms up, sort of March, April, we'll bl- bring a mob of kangaroos in from um, a place in Texas. 
and uh, we keep them during the summer months and into the fall. Uh, and then in October, we send them back. And it allows us to try out a new species to see if that would be a good fit for our institution. It also allows for a little diversity. So you're not seeing the same thing every time you come to the Memphis Zoo. Um, but it allows us to house them without having to worry about a building with heat in the su- in the winter months and things like that. Times you wouldn't actually see the kangaroos because they'd all be inside in the heat. Yeah, they were lots of fun. Uh, he always tried to get how close can I get to them? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you can't get off the pavement, but yes. sometimes they would come up really close. One time they did, and we were the only ones in the exhibit. And Very we came cool. in the morning because I heard the morning uh-huh. was a lot better. They're Mornings more active. and evenings is when they're active. And I don't know if you've come this year, but they're in, and I, we built them a smaller area so you can you can get a lot closer than, to them this year. Um, in previous years, we've had them in this huge area, which is totally beautiful, but people would see the kangaroos and they'd be like little postage stamps really far away. You know? yeah. No, we, we've been super close um, in the smaller area. All right. So I'm sure you have tons of stories. What comes to mind first when you think of maybe the scariest moment you've ever had with an animal or the most um, fun animals to work with? Yeah. my So my favorite animals to work with, I got in the field thinking I wanted to work with big cats. Um, they're one of the few species I haven't worked closely with. Um, and I think that may have resulted in, you know, me being where I am now. So I ended up working with a lot of different species. Um, but I fell in love with working with bears. Bears are very challenging. They're incredibly intelligent species. Um, the best description I've heard of a bear is it's like a dog and an orangutan mixed together. They're very good at solving problems, which is why they can be such a pest when they cross over with people because they're good at opening garbage cans or getting into your swimming pools and playing (laughs) on your playgrounds and stuff like that. So, um, but the the dog side is they are very playful and they're very social uh, species. And so um, they're fun to work with. I've worked with sloth bears, giant pandas, grizzly bears, black bears, and polar bears now. And there's only eight species of bears in the world. So I've gotten five of the eight so far. Um, but, uh, no, I, some, uh, career highlights for me was I was in uh, the national zoo when we had panda bear cubs and that was really neat. Um, if you Google my name at national zoo, you'll see some of the photos I took of that cub at 36 hours old. So that was an incredible, uh, once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, I've traveled with, as you mentioned, some, uh, animals around the world. I flew back with Yaya to China recently, which is the giant panda that was here in Memphis. Um, so that was neat to be on a plane with a panda. The, pl- the bear was in a crate, but I, I sat next to her the whole trip. Um, so I, a lot of my career has focused on bears, although I have a lot of experience with African hoofstock. So everything you think when you think the savannas of Africa, so different types of antelope species. Um, I've worked with about 40 or 50 different antelope species. Um, and so, but it's mostly mammals. I have a couple snakes now. I'm breaking out of the mammal field, but mammals have always been where my heart is. Yeah. Wow. Um, and that plane ride you were on, you said it was 15 hours. So that's a long time. It was 15 hours. Time. It was direct from Memphis to Shanghai. And so we left at like noon and we landed the next day at like five o'clock in the evening. So, cause we crossed the, the time barrier. And so we jumped a day, but we flew in daylight the whole way. And so I was awake for, you know, all told about 32 hours. And then we were in China for just a couple hours and then we flew back commercially. So I flew two overnights back to back. Um, and I took like, it was very bizarre because we, let's see, I took off at noon. I landed at five the next day in Shanghai. And then I flew from Shanghai to San Francisco and I landed like 
two hours before I took off. Like it was like a really wow. weird, but because I was constantly traveling, I didn't really get any jet lag or anything like that. You know, it's just, I slept for a long time when I got home though. Yeah. Now, did you, did you give, um, the panda bear something to relax or calm down or no, we actually just, no, we, everyone assumes that we sedate our animals. Um, I traveled with our senior veterinarian. So we certainly had meds on board if she had, uh, any sort of medical issue, but, um, bears in particular, and a lot of our animals, you'd be surprised how stoic they are. Uh, we don't ship them if, especially in that way on a plane or whatever, if we don't think they're going to handle it, we got the crate a month before, um, should we ever locked her into it? And so she was used to the crate. She was used to getting in there. She liked getting in there. She had everything she wanted. She had me as her butler. She had <laughs> endless supply of food and water. Um, she was perfectly happy until we had a little turbulence and then she mm-hmm. was a little irritable. Um, and, but, but she came out of it just fine. So no, we didn't have to medicate her or anything like that. Wow. Tell me a little bit about the polar bears. Do you get inside the area with we them don't. ever? That's no. So um, anything that's considered a dangerous animal, um, we're a responsible institution. We work with those animals through a barrier. So I think all the big carnivores, elephants, rhinos, um, all the great apes, we don't go in with them at all. Um, one exception would be if they're very young. Um, but uh, polar bears are uh, all trained. They're, again, incredibly smart species. Um, they're all trained to come up. They know about 20, 25 behaviors. So everything from opening their mouth to putting their hands on the mesh, to putting their claws through the mesh, they allow us to draw blood on them voluntarily um, so that we don't have to anesthetize them in- unless we really needed to. But the most important thing we can train these animals to do is let us examine their body completely every day so that we can see if there's any health issues. They're also trained to shift in on and off exhibit when we ask them to. They're trained to stand on the scale. Um, so we don't go in with the polar bears, but we work very closely with them. Wow. That's really, yeah. Amazing. The way God created all types of creatures. And there's so many, yeah. It's like, you know, people always ask us, well, how they always learn how old our animals are and how fast they are. And I always tell people, "Mm, I promise you almost every single animal here can run faster than you. (laughs) (laughs) It's worth keeping in mind. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my. Um, well, tell us a little bit about your journey. So your, when did your desire for animals, you know, to be with them, to know them start at what age? And then how did you get where Uh, you are today? I, I, I grew up with pets, just cats and dogs mostly. Um, but I was a kid that always wanted to work with animals. There was no question in my mind. Uh, when I was a brownie, I remember you had to do an outline of yourself and then draw yourself in your future profession. And I was a big cat veterinarian. That's what I wanted to be. And my dad used to say, like, you actually got pretty close. I was like, yeah, until I realized you didn't have to be a vet to work with big cats, you know. Um, and so I always wanted to work with animals. Um, I It's one of the things that I always tell kids is that um, you don't have to be a veterinarian. And that was something I didn't realize really until I was in college. Um, and that was because the only profession professional people I saw working with animals were veterinarians. And and that's true of a lot of kids. You know, you bring your cat and dog to the vet, but you don't think about when you go to the zoo, the people that are working with those animals or the people that, you know, professionally trained dogs or the people that work at laboratories and take care of animals. You know, there's a lot of other animal care fields. So when I was a senior in college, I did my thesis in animal behavior research And I fell in love with building a rapport with animals as opposed to the medical side, 
which was less in my eyes. I'd worked in vet hospitals then for four or five years. In my eyes, that was more about working with the people that, that owned the animals than it was truly working with the animals themselves. <clears throat> so I did an internship in wildlife rehab, which was kind of a combination of working directly with animals, but um, the medical stuff that I had been doing. And I felt, and that sort of led to looking at the zoological field and some internships available there. So when I graduated college, I went to work at Fossil Rim, which is a drive-through safari zoo down in Texas. And it was, it was really neat. I worked with carnivores there, but they have like the biggest herd of wildebeest that lives outside of Africa. And they like, wow. they have a lot of just giant um, herds of, of African hoofstock. And so even though I wasn't working with them. Um, they were all around me, which is kind of cool. Um, and I worked with ocelots and cheetahs and wolves there. I got hired as an intern to work at Disney, which was in animal behavior. So at that time, which is about 20 years ago, all accredited zoos were developing research programs. So it wasn't just about exhibiting animals. It was about contributing to science with our collections as well. And, and don't think doing experiments on the animal. It's more about learning from their behavior and what, what makes introducing these two these two animals successful in order to allow for breeding and, and things like that. And so I got the internship in animal behavior research, which really just told me, no, I want to be doing animal care. Because I'd done six months of animal care and six months of working essentially on computers and wearing dress clothes. And I was like, no, 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 no. I want to work outside in the sun with the animals. I don't want to join a gym. I want to get my workout at work. And so I was lucky enough to get hired on um, at Animal Kingdom Lodge, which has a huge collection of African hoofstock and birds. And I worked there for five years. Um, and when I was there, the, the most important thing I learned, because... I was very interested in working again with big cats. So I thought, okay, I'll put my year in here and then I'll switch over to the cat team. And the most valuable thing I learned was that I loved animal care, but it was more important who I worked with than what I worked with. And I loved the team that I was working with. And so I never had a desire to leave until it came time to move closer to home. So I had married my husband by then and um, who I'd met at Disney. And we moved closer to my uh, home where I, where my parents were because for my dad was having some health issues. And so I got a job at Smithsonian's National Zoo and I worked there for a little over five years. And I worked at the hospital and then I worked with um, large carnivores, Asian carnivores. That's where I worked with giant pandas and sloth bears, clouded leopards and fishing cats, otters and red pandas, which is a really fun collection. I got to hand rear a red panda and clouded leopards. So I got to do some babies and I had a blast. Um, I'd had my first daughter by then. So she was about 18 months old. And my boss came to me and said, would you consider a job in Memphis? I think there's a job there you'd be great at. And I remembered looking at her and thinking, I live 10 minutes from my parents. I just bought a house. And I have a child that's not quite two. Why on earth would I move to Memphis? <laughs> that sounds terrible. You know? And I went home and sort of told my husband that offhandedly. And he got real serious. And he said, you know, I think if your boss recommends you for a job, you shouldn't just dismiss it out of hand. And I said, there's no way I would even qualify for this position. You know, you're managing almost 30 people. I don't have any grade ape experience. I don't have any elephant experience. There's no way I'd qualify. And he was like, I think you should throw in for it. What's What's the worst that could happen, you know? And so I threw in for it, telling myself that I was just doing it for the interview experience. And the only reason I think I was interviewed is because I had giant panda experience. 
and they valued that here in Memphis. It was for a curator position over about half the zoo. So China, Northwest Teton, Elephants, Giraffe, and Primate Canyon. Again, half that area I didn't have any experience with. <laughs> and it's a really, it's a group of very dangerous animals. So I thought they're not going to hire a 30-year-old. Like, they'd be crazy. They're going to want somebody that has 15 years of management experience. And I had one of the best phone interviews in my life. Not, not that I interviewed well. I just got off this phone interview. I spent two and a half hours talking with Matt Thompson, who's now the CEO here. And I told my husband, I want to work for that guy. Um, he's everything I need in a leader. And this sounds like a pretty incredible opportunity. And so Matt then brought me out to see the zoo in person. And I thought, where have y'all been hiding? I was like, this zoo is amazing. I mean, it truly is one of the top zoos in the country. And at the time, 10 years ago, it, it was not well publicized. Like you guys all just have like one of the best zoos and you, you just kept that secret here. Um, you know, it's, it's still one of the best zoological collections. Um, starting about 25, 30 years ago, you really started thoughtfully modernizing exhibits and just, um, it's, it's beautiful. It's a great guest experience. Um, it's just all very well done. And so I got the job and moved down here and moved away from my parents <laughs> who were very supportive, thankfully. Um, fast forward five years, my parents then moved here. Uh, oh, wow. for retirement. So um, I ended up, it ended up all working out. We've had another daughter since then. Um, and I have, uh, I went from curator to director of animal programs where I managed all exhibit animals essentially. And then recently last fall, I was promoted when Matt became CEO, I backfilled his position. So I now manage essentially every department with animals. So um, all the exhibit animals, our research and conservation department, as well as our education department. And so that's been a huge challenge because I don't have, again, a lot of experience in either of those, but uh, they're headed up by some some incredible individuals and it's a great team to be a part of. I've been very fortunate. Wow. Incredible story. So many experiences. <laughs> I cannot believe, if you had told me 10 years ago that 10 years from then, because I was at Disney for five years, I was at National for five five years is sort of my magical, okay, it's time for a new challenge. And uh, I'm, I have no interest in going anywhere. And, you know, part of that is my kids are now in school and that becomes a whole new factor. But I, I truly love this area of the country. So do your kids love your job? Do they get to come oh, yeah. to work with you? They get to come to work a lot. So um, my eldest was, again, about a little over two when we moved here. And very quickly, she was like, this is my zoo, you know, but she worked the Memphis Zoo is closed three days out of the year, Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day, or Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And so both girls get to one day that they come and the zoo's closed and they dress like a keeper and they do the work. And so, you know, they like they're cleaning giraffe stalls and they're it's, it's great. There's a number of family members that are able to do it. Um, and so, you know, my daughter at five years old was was taking wheelbarrow rides to and from where we dumped the manure, but she was cleaning the giraffe stall, you know, and then we spend a little time ice skating because you've got to mix in some fun. Mm, yeah. Um, but no, they, they come, you know, they got out of school this summer. And so now Riley is seven. No, she's, she'll be seven this summer. And my eldest Kyrie is 11. And um, so we had a couple days before camp started and we're like, what are we going to do with the kids? So they came and they helped me build the porcupine exhibit. You know, there were things that needed to be modified. And so they both were running drills and I did the wow. sawing, but they got to pull everything off the exhibit and clean up. So they definitely get an insider's view. They, they love my job. They think it's very cool. They both want to be zoologists. 
I don't know whether or not they actually will. I don't think they're as like tunnel vision crazy about animals as I was. I think they're like that my job is cool, but we'll see when it comes to picking up poop. If they actually (laughs) want to do that as a career for a while. Um, but I love, one of my favorite things to do is to go talk at their schools because, mm-hmm. you know, you're like a superhero when you show up with a snake, you know, <laughs> and, um, and so I've, I've been able to do that quite a bit, which I enjoy. Yeah. That's amazing. We did have some guests that have snakes. So we have had snakes on the show. We cool. actually, um, yeah, did a YouTube video. Um, oh, very cool. That. I've got yeah. two snakes in my office. I have a Kenyan sand boa over there. I have a ball python in the tank behind me. And then I have a jumping spider and a tarantula as well. I do not take the spiders out and handle them. I just think they're fascinating creatures. Um, and the the tarantula I ended up with kind of by accident because it was teeny tiny when I got it. And somehow it survived. So <laughs> I'm very oh. proud of the fact that this tarantula <laughs> has grown up with me. But yeah. he stays in his enclosure and I stay in mine and I just feed it. <laughs> yeah. What a cool mom um, yeah. you are. So many... Um... Yeah. Amazing things your kids are getting to do that a lot of kids may not get to do. Um, (laughs) So tell us about, is there just one, are you the only zoologist at a zoo or do zoos have more than one? No. So I have a team of keepers that are taking care of the animals. And um, a lot of them have an official zoology background. Some of them, most of them majored in some sort of life science. So um, biology, psychology, um, animal science, any of those zoology. And then uh, there are some keepers that just go and get a two-year degree, an associate's degree in zookeeping. There's a few zoos in the country, one in California, one in Florida, most notably, um, that you can go and get a two-year degree to really, truly learn what a zookeeper does. Um, But, you know, there's also a number of folks that this is a change of career for them. You know, at National, I worked with someone who was a videographer and got into the animal side. Another one was a, used to work as a postal worker. Um, and so there, there are some of the best keepers I've worked with only have a high school degree, but they grew up around animals and they've got some of the best animal sense I've ever seen. So people come into this field through all walks of life. At the Memphis Zoo, we have about 70 zookeepers. Um, we have about, ooh, we have a team of, anywhere from 40 to 60 educators, um, depending if it, during the summer season, we go way up because we have camps and we have camp counselors that are educating and most of them are certified educators. Um, and then researchers, we've got a department with about 10 folks that just, you know, they have their PhDs or their masters and they're actually doing research. So whether it's behavioral, um, we play a huge role in the Louisiana snake, uh, Louisiana pine snake reintroduction, uh, process. And so there's the Louisiana pine snake is a snake that's found in um, sort of southeastern United States. It is the biggest snake and heaviest snake here in North America, but it is also um, highly endangered. And so there's a group of about four institutions in this area. Memphis is one, there's one in Texas, um, one in Louisiana that have been working to breed uh, Louisiana pine snakes. And we actually are reintroducing those animals to the wild. And people say, you know, the only good snake is a dead snake. And it's just not true. Snakes play an integral part in pest management, um, which uh, helps control disease for you and I, you know. So they really are a necessary chain in or link in our chain here. Um, so it's really cool to think that, you know, everyone, when they think about zoos and saving endangered species, they're, ta- they're thinking about elephants. They're thinking about giant pandas. And they forget that there are species here in the United States that may not be big and fuzzy. Um, that also need to be 
need to be saved and that zoos are thinking of all of those species, which is pretty cool. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Um, so if someone, cause I'm sure we have a lot of students listening. So if someone's thinking about going the zoology route or the veterinarian route, since you were down that path, you know a lot about like, how can they decide which one to do or to do it or not to do it? Do they have to grow up with a lot of animals knowing that before they get to university? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, you need to, you don't need to grow up around animals. You don't need to, you, you need to like animals. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that want to work with animals. And so therefore those people are not the best paid in the world. You know, things to consider when you're a vet or working in a zoo is you work every day of the year. Oftentimes, you know, it is tough to take time off. It is tough. You know, you, Animals still have to be fed, even if it's Christmas, even if the zoo's closed, people need to come and feed and clean the animals. So, you know, that's something worth keeping in mind. And then um, as far as going to vet school versus working with animals, it's all about what your passion is. And my advice is to try different internships. You know, I think most states, you have to be about 16 to work either in the vet hospital or volunteer at a zoo. Um, But the opportunities are out there. And I would encourage anyone to look at your local zoo, ask them about internship opportunities, shadowing opportunities, um, and start educating yourself about the positives and negatives. You know, talk to people locally that that do both of those things. Um, There's forums online where you can get advice as well um, or make connections and network. And so all of us love talking about what we do because we all have an incredible passion for it. Um, but, uh, we'll also be honest about the pros and cons of the field and what's hard and, and what makes it worth it, you know? So just get out there and shadow and work and try to find your own niche, but try lots of different things. There's so many different fields that work with animals if you're passionate about them. Yeah, that's cool. So what is the hardest thing you do on a daily basis? Um, the hardest thing I do, well, now I'm not working so much with animals. I'm working a lot more with people and I, I always joke that I didn't get into this field to work with people, <laughs> but like the majority of us didn't like, you know, I'm not an odd story. I was that weird kid that like at a party was playing with the dog in the corner, not so much playing with the other kids. Um, and so they took a whole lot of those types of people and then they put us all in a zoo and they're like, why is nobody getting along? <laughs> you know, it's because we all relate better to animals than we do people. Um, so for me, the biggest challenge is the people part of my, my job. Um, I, I'd rather take an angry bear than an angry person just about any day, you know, <laughs> but, um, the hardest part of this job is that, um, you don't make a ton of money. Um, and so you're, you know, you're growing up, you're living with, you're living with roommates or you're making sacrifices in the sector. Like I never had cable when I was, you know, I, I had the antenna and the foil on top of my TV so that I could watch some channels, but like I didn't take, I didn't get Starbucks on the way to work every day. You know, there are corners that you're willing to cut in order to feel like your work is not a job. You know, um, my husband always talks about his job is a job. Um, and he occasionally is jealous that my job is my passion. And so in a lot of ways, I feel like I've never worked a day in my life. And I consider that a very fortunate thing. People, a lot of people are counting down the days to retirement. You know, I'll retire when I get kicked out of this place, honestly. (laughs) Um, And so there are definitely pros to that. Um, But other challenges, like I mentioned, are you work in all weather conditions. So if you're working in Chicago in the winter, that means you're melting the ice off of your locks so that you can get in to take care of your animals. You know, Um, there's no snow days. There's no 
Uh, it doesn't matter if there's a tornado or a hurricane or anything. You have to get in. Someone has to take care of those animals. You have to feed them. You have to deal with issues at work. And I, and I find that, you know, we had this extreme weather that came in recently and you're torn between making sure your house is okay. So I'm very fortunate to have a partner that's willing to pull more than his weight because I also have the zoo that I have to make sure is okay. So it's just as important to me. Um, so there's a lot of, there's some sacrifices there as far as your time and your family time and your priorities, because, uh, the zoo and the animals at the zoo, it's like your family. You just can't take them home with you. (laughs) Yeah, Mm, that's good. Thank you for that insight. I know with the Memphis Zoo and I'm assuming most other zoos, they count on a lot of support from their community, um, in many different ways. So tell us how, those that live near the Memphis Zoo can support the Memphis Zoo, but also support other zoos that are near them. Absolutely. And you know, when I, when I was, I mentioned that phone interview um, with Matt Thompson, my first question for him when I, it was my turn to ask questions was what is your community support? Because community support will make or break a zoo. Um, There are zoos that I've seen driven into the ground because their own community goes against them. Um, and that doesn't exist at all here. We are so fortunate. And Matt sort of promised me the moon on that one, but he didn't sell it short. You guys love your zoo. You just don't tell anyone else about it, how great it is. Um, we didn't 10 years ago, but no, um, the community support for this institution is incredible. People, uh, grew up coming here and they're very happy to also be bringing their kids here. Um, when the zoo makes changes, the community is supportive of those changes and understands that we're moving in the right direction. You know, um, we, uh, the best way to support your zoo, of course, is to, uh, attend our events. We have a ton of different special events, um, sort of something for everyone. We've, we've got romantic dinners and wine dinners to, you know, giant parties to, um, splash pad events. So we really, we have family friendly, we have great date night events, you know, the whole nine yards. And a lot of that helps drive revenue for the zoo. And, you know, we're a nonprofit. And so everything we make goes back to supporting conservation and supporting our animals. Um, another great way is uh, to get a membership. You know, memberships, I want to say start somewhere around the $75 to $125 range for a family. The memberships are incredibly generous. First of all, if you come more than twice a year, the membership has paid for itself. Um, I always encourage people, come and bring your family And if you want to get a membership on the way out, they will take that amount that you paid to get in out of the membership amount. So like all of a sudden, the membership is just $40, you know, Um, but it pays for itself very quickly. There's lots of perks as far as like, for example, we're going to have tiger cubs going on exhibit. We're very hopeful to have member previews so members can get in early. They get free parking. They don't have to deal with the crowds. They get right in and they'll be able to see a lot of like our baby animals when they first go out. They get a discounted price for all those events that I mentioned. It really is one of the best memberships I think you can get in town. And again, all of that money supports our bottom line directly and it supports the animals. Um And then even the folks that aren't from town, you know, follow us on social media. We have an incredible marketing department that has really built up a following over the last uh, couple of years. They're hilarious, but they also have, we we love putting together stories between Instagram and TikTok. And I don't even know what else those kids are doing now, but um, it's a lot of fun. You know, you're the first one to hear about birth announcements and everything else. We love our public. Doesn't matter where you live. Hmm, That's so fun. Yeah. So many different events. You never run out of things to do year round. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's really dip, people are shocked, you know, that like we had, um, 
we have six different conservation initiatives that we're trying to support. And one of them is gorillas in Africa. And to raise money for that, we do um, a, a pancakes for primates. And so it's something that a lot of people never even realized, but it was an incredible event where they get to sit down with the animal care staff, have breakfast and get the inside scoop of the people who are actually taking care of the gorillas and orangutans. And I mean, you can't beat some of those stories, <laughs> but it's fun. Like I said, family friendly date night, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. I live about 30 minutes from the zoo, so we don't come every day. But I think every time I drive over there, I'm like, there's so many houses that are right there, literally on the campus. I'm like, what would it be like to live there? Like you could go walk there every single day, just walk across the street. And we do. We actually have a number of people who they have to live nearby, but they actually walk zoo grounds. You know, um, Memphis, just like every other big city, has issues. Um, but the uh, Memphis Zoo, knock on wood, is an incredibly safe place to be. We have security folks that are here. We have security folks that rove the parking lots and keep an eye on your cars. Um, you know, we have off-duty police officers that are here, especially when we anticipate big crowds. We take people's safety very seriously because we want this place to remain a sanctuary. You know, no matter the age or the family or your limitations, we want people to feel comfortable when they're on grounds. Yeah, it's so fun. I grew up in Memphis, so we come to the zoo a lot. So it's fun now to bring my kids, yeah. you know, um, to the same rides, some of the yeah. same rides are there. But then there's so many new exhibits, like I said early on. Um, the stingrays were not too, too long ago. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we love the Christmas, Christmas time. They put all the lights, Halloween, they put all the lights. So every um, like holiday, there's something yep. supporting that too. There's a, there's a lot of seasonality here, just like most zoos, you know, um, one thing I didn't realize until I'd been here for a long time is the Memphis zoo really only makes money about four months out of the year. And that's because so many of the months were in winter months and crowds are down or we're in summer months and people don't think let's go hang out at the zoo when it's, you know, 110 heat index. And I get it. And the one thing I, I keep trying to tell people is one, remember we opened the splash pad. You know, you never think about packing a bathing suit for your kids when you come to the zoo, but it's it's a necessity for my kids, especially now. You know, we I have bathing. So one of my daughters is in zoo camp all summer, and so I have bathing suits in my office for her that she'll after camp she'll come on and put a bathing suit and play in the fountains or play in the splash pad or play down. You know, in the fountain uh, there's the the Nile River that runs down the middle of the front of the zoo. She loves it. You know, all of those are water options that are treated like public pools. And we test them weekly and everything else, but it's a great way to beat the heat. <laughs> yeah, it is. Everything's so clean, so nice. It really is an incredible zoo. So lucky to live so close. So if you're ever, I know a lot of people come to Memphis. You may not live here, but when you come to town, make sure you carve out a few hours to go check out the Memphis check zoo. Out our zoo. We get, yeah, a, we get a lot of media. out of town visitors that are very impressed. You know, hit Graceland, but hit the zoo too. <laughs> yeah. Check out social media, like Courtney said, and then their website. There's always new things being posted and you have cameras too, right? You, you can look at animals live. We have live. a bunch of webcams. And so we have webcams on our elephant exhibit, our maybe our bear exhibit, our grizzly exhibit, um, flamingos. And then most importantly, right now we have webcams on our baby red panda cubs, as well as the tiger cubs. And so it's, you know, those babies don't go out on exhibit until they're a couple months old, just even if they were in the wild, they wouldn't leave their nest site until they're a couple of months old. And so um, it's not safe for them yet. So you, you, you folks know you got to toddler proof your house, you know, and so <laughs> yeah. uh, we can't let them out on exhibit until they prove they can swim and things like that. Um, so it's a great place to go online and, and see those babies. That's good. 
Hey, Courtney, tell us a little bit more about conservation. I know you mentioned six initiatives, but how can we, just as caretakers of God's world, help with conservation? Absolutely. You know, if you go on Memphis Zoo's website, you can sort of follow the menus and find one page that talks specifically about our six conservation initiatives. A lot of people don't realize, and and so many of us are trying to change the perception of zoos. You know, I mentioned zoos have research departments. We're doing real science here. It's not just it, just exhibiting the animals is such a small part of what we do. Um, We exhibit the animals because, and, and I firmly believe if you don't, if you're not able to personally connect, like when you do when you feed a giraffe, um, you can only connect so much with an animal that you see on TV or in a movie. You know, seeing is believing and seeing these animals, you help form a connection. It helps you care more about what's going on on God's green earth here, you know. Um, and so you'll care more about the plight of giraffe in Africa when you fed a giraffe and you feel what they feel like, you know, when you see their long eyelashes and they're looking at you. Um, if you, as I mentioned, if you go onto our website, you can read more about our specific six initiatives. I'm going to try to remember them off the top of my head. We've got Louisiana pine snakes. We've got gopher frogs. Um, we have the gorillas. We have Sumatran tigers. Um, and then we have African elephants and penguins, African penguins. And so all of those animals are represented here on grounds. You can certainly learn more about them by coming here and, and seeing them up close. But you can also read more about the specific events that we have to raise awareness for that very species, as well as where we are contributing in the wild. So, you know, we have a 10-year relationship with a nonprofit in Africa called Elephants for Africa. There are a lot of organizations trying to help African elephants what we are not interested in is paying the administrative fees of a big conservation effort. We wanted to find someone where every dollar we raise has a direct impact on what they're doing. And that's exactly what Elephants for Africa is. We've donated, I want to say around 50,000, maybe more, um, over the last several, over the last 10 years. And, you know, we've participated in radio collaring elephants. More importantly, we've been able to send staff members over that are now able to come back and talk to people about seeing wild elephants and hearing them and feeling them and knowing what our money is doing over there to make a difference, you know. And our goal is to do that with all six of those initiatives. We want to, here in Memphis, really make an impact on conservation. We don't just want to pay someone else to make an impact on conservation, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really good. All right. You mentioned movies a second ago, and that made me think there are so many kids' movies, mm-hmm. cartoon animals. Um, so two questions. When you watch those, probably with your kids, um, either now or in the past, like, <laughs> how do you, uh, how oh does that make you feel knowing animals? And then which uh-huh. movie that you've seen really depicts animals most accurately? Oh, you know, you know that one of the best, um, things and it's not a movie wild Kratz does a fantastic job like kids will come up and they know more about species than i do because they learned it on wild Kratz. um so that's an incredible cartoon i'll tell you uh my husband cannot stand watching movies with me with animals in it because i ruin all the magic like like we'll be watching lion king and i'm like you know they're doing the um can't wait to be king song and I'm like, just so you know, those are anteaters and anteaters are found in South America, not Africa. And he's like, you did it again. <laughs> like, you know, so there's like little animal facts that you're like, that's not how that would have gone down. Um, Swiss Family Robinson, we have this ongoing joke. I watched it like after I'd been in the zoo field for like 10 years 
and we joked that Swiss Family Robinson must place take take place on an island that had all these like land bridges because there's animals from Asia, there's animals from Africa, and there's animals from North America that are depicted on this island. And I'm like, where is this island? This mythical <laughs> island with like cheetahs and you know Asian cranes and, and like it's just it's and tigers. You know, there's no place on earth where tigers and cheetahs really overlap seriously. So. Anyways, but like little facts like that always crack me up. But uh, movies and shows, they're getting so much more um, responsible about the way they depict animals um, that, you know, it's less about putting monkeys in human clothes and make them be silly because that is sending the wrong message. It's sending that these animals are just like little babies and they make great pets. And, you know, as as a population, I think we're doing a lot better about these animals are different than us, but they still need our help. And these are viable ways to help them. And then the other big trend is we're getting away from using animals at all. And we're moving towards CGI. And that's way more responsible than, you know, trying to depict child actors snuggling with a leopard. You know what I mean? Um, you can, you can hand rear these wild animals and you can, you, but they're, they'll always be wild animals. They're not cats and dogs. And I hate trying to depict, or I hate trying to convince people that they'd make terrible pets because we're not doing them any favors by, by private ownership. That's one of my, my biggest uh, messages to people. So anyways, that was a long answer, but I love wild Christ, man. It, it does a great job. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to check that out. Okay. I keep looking behind you on your office wall, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what footprint is that a, okay. a bear's I've footprint? Got a bunch. Hold on. Let me see if I can show you the whole wall. So I have starting up there. That's an elephant trunk print and an elephant footprint. And then this is octopus. That is a grizzly bear footprint. And then this and that print over there are giant panda footprints. And then this is a spray painting that was done by a sloth bear. And so sloth bears are, um, one part of their natural history is, um, they, they open termite mounds with these long claws they have. And then they put their lips up against and they suck the termites out of the termite mound. But if it gets blocked, they'll blow it and suck again. And so they, they do this. And so we trained ours to blow out of a straw and we'd load up the straw with paint. And so we had paintings that are these like very abstract art spray paintings um, by our sloth bears, which is just kind of fun. Yeah. So fun. So when okay. we moved here and I had, I have another wall here, um, but uh, covered with stuff, but when we moved here and I had an office, my husband was like, all of this can go to your office now. Right. And not be all <laughs> in our house. So I was like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so fun. All right. And I thought that was a bear's footprint, the one I can see that's yes. kind of blue. And blue that's one, an animal, yeah. grizzly bear. Super. It's a big grizzly bear, yes. Yeah, super scared of grizzly bears. Um, just because I mean, they make so many movies that make you scared, you know. Yes. Grizzly bears, though, they're like golden retriever. They're like the golden retriever of the bear world, which is not to say they're friendly. They're just super goofy. Um, and they can be very social. So they can live in bigger groups as long as they're well fed. Um, they're just they're silly bears. They're, they're, uh, and then black bears are they're They don't have as much personality in my opinion as the black, as the grizzly bears do. Um, and then polar bears, I always say they're like the cats of the bear world. They, they're so much of their survival is honed on their intellects and their ability to survive in this extreme environment. And so, um, they just, they, they don't goof around nearly as much, you know, everything is very serious. And they're just very intense bears and you have to earn your relationship with them. They'll put you through your paces. Uh, and then giant pandas are sort of like big hamsters. They're pretty happy-go-lucky. Um, and then sloth bears, they, they really truly are like orangutans. They're so smart. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Therefore, they're an Indian bear species. And they're the funniest bears I've ever worked with. Grizzlies are a close second. Sloth bears are really silly. Wow. That's cool to know. So many fun facts. I bet we could keep you on here forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, hearing all kinds of things. But thank you for sharing a little bit of your journey and about the Memphis Zoo. And, you know, we're an online school, so we can't just say, hey, everybody... Next week, we're going to go visit the zoo. Um, but I'm sitting here thinking, I wonder if I could come with like a camera and we do well, like and, some and live thing virtual, for online. We have virtual classroom um, uh, through our education department too. So if anybody's interested, check it out online and you can talk to some of our educators and meet some of our animals that way too. Yeah, super cool. And if anybody comes to town, next time I come with my son, I might have to find Courtney. Say hey. Absolutely. Please do. Yeah, so fun. Thanks again. All right. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening today. If you have any questions for our guest or like information about North Star, please email us at podcast at nsa.school. We love having guests on our show and getting to hear their stories. If you have anyone in mind that you think would be a great guest to feature, please email us and let us know. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming stories.